develop courage by being happy every day. We develop it by surviving difficult times and challenging adversity. Barbara DeAngelis. And again, we started at like four in the morning, finished at 2.30 in the morning. So it was like such a solid day of hiking. In the end, we have so much adrenaline, hiking in the dark. The bugs from the smoke were so bad that you had to hold your headlamp in your hand down below at like chest level. And my arm looked like diseased from all the bug bites, not like mosquitoes, like little fly gnat things. So anyways, we pile 17 hikers and packs and the driver into this singular pickup truck. <laughs> and it ends up being like a three hour drive out because he has to go so slow. And they're like this, it's just like this crazy dirt road area where they're just like weaving in and out in all sorts of directions. And then, um, yeah, it's, as the, the sun rises, as we roll into Ashland. And that's how we cross the Oregon border. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirtbags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. I am very excited to talk to this week's guest. She has just finished hiking the PCT. She's a nutritionist and she's the founder of Send Femme, an inclusive community of women and gender minorities sending male-dominated outdoor sports at all levels. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Ariel Scheip. How's it going, Ariel? It is going so well. I am so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to today for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Now our, our go-between, Molly, I mean, she told me that you're excited, but I, I don't yeah. know if that's just something that she usually says to people or if it was actually true. So it's nice to hear you say that. Thank you. Yeah, it's legitimate. It's the real deal. I promise. <laughs> okay, nice. Now, I did I get the, did I get the pronunciation right? Ariel. Did. Yeah, you nailed it. Nailed Ariel. it. That's right. That's a check in the right column for me. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Okay, good. Now, when I introduced you, I said that uh, you're the founder of SendFem, an inclusive community of women and gender minorities sending male-dominated outdoor sports at all levels. And me being an old guy, <laughs> and, and this this word sending, I've heard it many times. Yep. I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know put it in the right context here. What in your mind, what does send mean? Because it seems it's yep. it's a little bit different than the usual definition of send. Yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, ultimately, like, I think the context of it usually is mean, it means when you accomplish something, you know, so like, if you send a rock climbing route, or, you know, like, if you sent a project, it's really, I guess, heavily used in the rock climbing community, because that's where I tend to bring it back to. But um, I feel like in this context, it really could be, 
used, whether it was like a successful send or not, really, it's just the idea, are you getting out there and like exploring and chasing these dreams and, you know, getting out in nature and challenging yourself at whatever level you're at, you know? Yeah, I know it is has a background in the rock climbing community. And so I wondered to myself, is it is it just a shortened version of the word ascend? Or do you think think it drives them from somewhere else? I don't know. I'm I'm a former former English teacher, so I nerd out on this stuff. You know what? That is a great question. I don't know the the background of the slang, but it's honestly like I feel like that's a a pretty possible answer to it. You know, like everything, it just kind of like evolves and grows. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe we should look it up later. We'll see if we can find any roots to it. Yeah, I was going to suggest maybe maybe one of the listeners should look an urban dictionary and and tell us. But then I'm thinking that send probably isn't an urban term. Maybe it's maybe it's rural. Is there a rural dictionary we can look in? <laughs> a dictionary for mountain folk. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, for the hill folk. Yeah. Okay. Should be. <laughs> Ariel, uh, we typically go by trail names here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So doc is doc is not on my paycheck. It's not on my driver's license, but that's what's on the screen here. Yeah. Um, you just you spent, you know, time out on, you know, 2600 miles of trail from Mexico to Canada. Did you happen to pick up a trail name along the way? I did. I got assigned at roughly mile 100. Um, my trail name is Mouse. Mouse. Yeah. Mouse. What is the story behind the trail name of Mouse? So, uh we were, I feel like it's, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it's an anticlimactic story, but we were sitting there eating, I don't know if you'd call it breakfast or lunch, we were eating like, you know, second meal of the day <laughs> and uh, at 10 a.m. So it feels run. like a hobbit, feels like a hobbit story. Yeah, totally. So second we were sitting meal. there and I was eating, of course, um, tuna, like, because I still was, I was still on tuna at this point, which was something um, that eventually I could not bear to even think about, you know, after like a couple of months. But at this point, I was still on tuna, 100 miles in, you know, tuna still great. We're still friends. So I was eating some tuna and finished it and then looked down and literally an inch from my toes, like legitimately, I could have sat on it, um, was like a dead, uh, rotting mouse. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, like I finished eating whatever I was eating. And so um, that's how the name came to be. But it's so funny because we kind of start to, I feel like you start to like become your trail name in, in certain ways. And like, it just kind of like certain aspects start to come to life. And by the end of the trail, my backpack was so squeaky. Like it was something that everyone would notice. And so that was a part of like embodying mouse. And then I also became like, I got to a point where I basically subsided fully on cheese. Like I just was so sick of all the trail food. I like didn't want anything that tasted like a bar or like nuts or like any of those things. And so like legitimately I'd bring blocks of cheese. I'd bring multiple different kinds of cheese and I would keep it in the bottom of my bag to like keep it somewhat cool, but yeah, fully surviving off cheese by the end of the trail. You know, Jeff Garmeyer and I, Jeff Garmeyer and I had a conversation about names and naming your kids and and hoping that they would live up to those names. Yeah. So he he talked about he wanted he wished he had been named Napper because he, <laughs> he likes a good nap. Um, I was talking about naming naming a, a kid Reed or I don't know maybe Cy Young something you know it's a <laughs> superstar. But I'd never thought of it in the way of a trail name. You got it yeah. fairly, fairly early and it kind of evolved. You kind of you kind of fit into it. That that's uh it's interesting. 
Totally. I mean, I, I think at first I wanted, you just get so excited. And so you're like, yes, that one is, sounds great. Let's do it. And it is kind of fun to see how they evolve and, you know, to see like a couple of people even like changes throughout the trail, but I feel like most people, it just kind of becomes, you know, its own story that keeps growing. Right. Well, I mean, what if you got saddled with an unfortunate trail name and would you have, would you devolve down into that, uh, that trail name? I, I'm trying it's to think a of risk. a couple that, that, that wouldn't be offensive, but I, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> it's a risk we all run, but honestly, the people that I met on trail that had maybe what you would expect to be like offensive or like, you know, be like, really, they accepted that? They, those are the people that embodied the hell out of those trail names. You know what I mean? They owned it. So I feel like the kind of person who ends up getting a trail name like that or accepting a trail name like that, like, that, you know what I mean? It like totally suits them and they totally end up like being that, you know, and no shame, you know, right. to go up to the bagel shop in town, give that trail name that people are maybe even uncomfortable to say out loud, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Lean into it. Absolutely. Yeah, fully. You, you know what to. I do? I, I I do remember a name. Uh, one one of the guys I talked to, I said, "What was one of the most, most interesting trail names you came across out out there on your hike?" And he said, "Poop Hands was, <laughs> was a trail name." And he the guy he asked the guy what his trail name was, and they were shaking hands at the time. And he said, "Poop Hands." And at that point, he like, "I'm not sure I should be shaking his hands." <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. There was definitely some um, some competitors on the trail this year as well for that. <laughs> okay. Now, Ariel, Ariel, I blew it. Ariel, <laughs> mouse. It's easier now. I just go with mouse. Yeah, we're, mouse. Going with, we're going with mouse. I'm yeah, off the hook. I am off the hook. Yeah. I'll, I'll edit that part out. Mouse. <laughs> mouse. Um, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? Um, only a couple episodes. So okay. I'm super excited. I mean, it's I've had a couple of friends over here. So, you know, it's nice to hear their voices and everything like that. Nice. So I, I asked that because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that we have towards the end called the pro tip inside of the week. That's where I will turn to you and I'll say mouse, please share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't cool. be surprised when we get there. Cool. Okay. Now, is it okay if we share the news? Yes. Totally I, think you, okay. I think on, on Instagram, you've broken the news. You, you have news let people is, know that you've got some, some very exciting happenings in your in your future tell us about it um i am 19 weeks pregnant as of the time of us recording this and um for any of you guys who do any math that goes back to what it may seem like my last two weeks on the trail um but actually something i i i did not know this until i was um pregnant myself is that the weeks that they count for pregnancy don't start when you conceive they start on the first day of your last cycle. So um, even though we hadn't conceived on the trail, you know, technically if you did the math, it might seem like we did, which I thought was pretty funny. So I had a lot of people when I announced the te the day and I announced like the weeks, like going back and doing math, I got so many messages <laughs> from people be like, were you pregnant on trail? But no, just very, very quickly afterwards. Mouse, this is gonna be a great episode because <laughs> you're already oversharing. This is, this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Sorry. <laughs> it's That's, all right. That's all right. Congratulations. We are very excited for you. What what is the what is the due date? Um, June 16th, so sometime mid-June. Um, in the mountains, I live at a really high elevation. So it's not uncommon for people to deliver early, but only time will tell. Okay. And this is child number one. Child number one. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? uh, I mean, as ready as we'll ever be. I think it's something that you just, you don't know what you don't know. And, (laughs) um, you know, we were talking before we started recording. I'm equal parts excited and terrified, you know? (laughs) That's very appropriate. And to realize that there are things that you don't know, I mean, that yeah. that's half the battle right there. So acknowledging that and embracing that, you're going to be great. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're excited. The Must Bring Gear Review. All right, Mouse. Another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day or multi-month, hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So if everything in your bag is generic, I mean, what is the one thing you have to have out there? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm like trying to think of like what I was, if there was anything specific I was super attached to that like had to be a certain way. Sorry, I might, you might have to cut out no, a second okay. of this one because I'm like... Uh, Our listeners love to hear the, the, the guest thought process. So go ahead and just think it through. Well, part of me was thinking about like this, my sit pad that I really loved, um, which was one of those like one eighth foam pads that I didn't have for like so much of the trail. I, I legitimately found it on the trail. Like I found it wrapped around a log on one of the most like horrendous days um and it made the day like so much better because it'd been something that had been sold out online for like forever and I wanted one so bad um I think I'm just gonna have to go with that like yeah that, yeah, that one eighth, the one eighth foam pad yeah. I actually don't know what brand mine was because it didn't say on it and I didn't buy it I literally found it on the trail and I asked everyone around first if it was theirs, but no one claimed it. So I did. Very considerate of you. You know, I, <laughs> I, I went on a hike and uh, I did Mineral King Loop in the Sierras yeah. with Yahtzee and Bindi, uh, who just had just had their own baby. It's my my niece and her her husband now. They they just delivered. And so <laughs> I have some questions for you later about how a child might change your your hiking life, but we'll get to that really? in a little bit. But I was on a hike with them, Mineral King Loop in the Sierras in Sequoia. And he had this little foam sit pad that he used and I yeah. gave him the hardest time, you know, calling him bougie and all kinds of stuff. And then he loaned it to me during one break mm-hmm. and I saw mm-hmm. the value. I, I had to apologize all over. to him because it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. And especially like that one, because it's just as light, it's lighter than pretty much everything out there. And you can put it under your blow up um, pad as well at night. So I would like, when we're sitting, I had it folded up. um, So it had like a little more protection. If I wanted to stretch, I could open it up and have space. And also um, I didn't have uh, like, well, once I had it, I didn't have any issues with um, blow up blowouts (laughs) Uh, beforehand. Well, you know, there was some, some things, but <laughs> once okay. I had it, we made nice. it to the end. Okay, good, good. Now let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about gear and let's talk about, uh, this is a good chance for me to shout out my sponsors, which our listeners will hear all about at the break, but um, just to throwing it out there, this, this particular segment was sponsored by six, six moon designs. Have you used any of their products or you heard of them? I've definitely heard of them. They were super popular out on the trail this year, and I haven't had a chance to try anything personally, Mm -hmm. but everyone who had some of their gear was super stoked on it. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Also, a new sponsor this season is Sawyer Products. 
the water mm-hmm. filtration, sunscreen, bugs, bug stuff. Oh yes. We had, I think everyone in my group had a Sawyer. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's probably the most popular water filtration product out there. Totally. I mean, it's just so easy. I, you know, I did start with the mini and ended up having to upgrade to the squeeze to get that extra flow rate, but, uh, it was just, it was hard to beat, you know? Yeah. See, I'm even lazier. I, I use the gravity filter. You know, Ooh, you fill bag, nice. Just let it hang. There's no squeezing or pumping or anything. <laughs> you know, in my not through hiking life, I love the gravity filter, but I was trying to, uh, you know, somewhat <laughs> be mindful of weight and right. definitely not, I by no means ultralight, honestly, yeah. but you know, somewhat aware of it. Yep. And our other sponsor is Jolly Gear. Do you have any Jolly Gear? Uh, oh, clothing? no, but the shirts are so cool. <laughs> so slick, right? Those are awesome. Uh, they are, they, they're, they are some good looking and some good style out there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now let's, you mentioned weight on your, on your bag, your mm-hmm. gear. So what was your base weight on the PCT? I, you know, I, I don't know exactly. Cause it wasn't something I nerded out on. Um, I, I, which I know I'm like, some people over there are probably like, oh, how dare you, but you know what? I made it to the end. So you can make it happen. Um, I would get, if I were to guess though, I would guess somewhere in the 16 to 18 pound range. You know, obviously it depends on what section of trail because in the Sierra you have the bear can. And then I also in the Sierra added um, the brain to my pack just because with the bear can, it was really hard to fit everything as well as I did um, without it. So I'm sure it was quite a bit heavier in that section. Also any section where I had the micro spikes anyway, you know, so all those little things add. Um, But I would say I'm, I can guarantee you my base weight was never below 15 pounds at any point on the trail. And when you say add the brain to your bag, you mean like the top compartment? Oh, yeah. That's like top compartment. So I hiked mostly without that because I just didn't feel like it was necessary and it helped me like keep myself more compact. Um, But in the Sierra, it was really nice to have that uh, additional component and have some better organization. (laughs) Yeah. I think I heard some audible gasps out there in the audience when you said 16 to 18 pounds. I mean, there are probably lighters out there like, oh my gosh, (laughs) what is she doing? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, I just like, I I feel like there were certain things I didn't want to part with. And it's funny because this will seem really maybe counterintuitive to a lot of people, but if I was doing shorter trips, I feel like I would want to go lighter. But when you're through hiking, like you have town, you have, there's like so much more to it. You're just everything that you have for five months is with you. And so like, I wanted to have, I mean, obviously I had really, really light camp shoes, but I, I liked having camp shoes and I actually liked them more for like when we were in town than even on the trail, like obviously I used them on trail. So I feel like as weird as it sounds, like if I were to go out and do just a five or a six night backpacking trip, that wasn't a through hike. I would be super down to go ultra light and maybe go further and faster. But for five months, that's when I kind of actually wanted some of those creature comforts. Yeah. yeah there is a big difference between being uncomfortable for five nights and being uncomfortable for 150 nights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also I feel like, you know, obviously there's as a solo hiker, like not sharing, you know, not sharing any gear, like, you know, if you go out with a couple or with a friend, obviously you can share different things. Um, so carrying all of my own, my own tent, my own things like that. Got it. Got it. It's the hiking pole. All right, mouse. It's the hiking pole. And that's P-O-L-L, not P-O-L-E, P-O-L-L, like a survey. This is a seven question survey that's going to help me determine your level of sanity. I'm going to give you a <laughs> score at the end of this between one and a hundred with Perfect. 100 being completely sane and one being completely insane. 
Now I have to warn you ahead of time that anybody who has done a long trail like the PCT, that's an automatic 25 point deduction because that speaks to your sanity. Yeah. I mean, that, that checks out to me. It makes sense. That's reasonable, right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay. And this is completely subjective. This is all based on whether I agree with you or not. Uh, cause oh, I'm the host okay. and it's my podcast. So. <laughs> All right. Hit me. Let's right. do it. All right. You have no idea what these questions are. I have no idea. Are you nervous? Mm, can I say I'm just like interested, curious, curious. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Curious. Now, if I were to ask your, your friends and family, give, what would you give, uh, Ariel in terms of a score on the sanity scale? One to a hundred. Where do you, where do you think they'd rank you? <sighs> Probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Because I do actually, I actually have a really like, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly like rational thought out sort of person, which you might not know externally. Um, very like kind of in some ways calculated with the way that I live my life, but I also really like to do the suffering. So that automatically puts you somewhere in the middle, I think. You know, that's an important character trait. I think in, in the through hiker <laughs> is liking, liking the suffering. So yeah. I mean, if you, if you're comfortable being uncomfortable, you're that that's more than half the battle. Well, you're not going to make it to Canada if you're, if you're not at least somewhat comfortable being uncomfortable, it's just not okay. going to happen. We will start out easy. First question, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. And sure. it's also good to give a little explanation of the answer. Um, so I started the trail with a with a uh, really mild NCL tear. So downhill without trekking poles would have been like just completely a no go. Um, I like having something to do with my hands, <laughs> my arms, and they're fun to swing around and do tricks with when you're bored on a really long kind of flattest stretch in Oregon. Um, but yeah, no, like, especially in this year and some of the places where you are doing a lot of up and down, it's helpful. And like, you know, when my legs were tired, it was nice to have the illusion that I could use my arms to get me there. <laughs> now, last week's guest, uh, Heather Daigle, uh, nickname egg trail name yeah. egg. She, she really thought that the poles got in the way of her mm-hmm. ability to eat snacks on the trail. You have to have strategies for that, right? So you got, you find places to tuck them, you know, maybe you collapse one pole, you know, those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. I also think a factor too, for me, I I wasn't ultra light. So having poles is helpful because I was carrying, you know, a a light, I'd say I'm still, my pack is still light, but not ultra light, you know, so having, but having a little bit of extra support. Whereas if you were like ultra, ultra light, like I feel like the poles become less necessary, um, the lighter your pack is. Yeah, it's good to have an extra point of contact with the ground yep. uh, just to prevent the falls and the trips and uh, water crossing is very important, I think. Oh, yeah, so true. Yeah, Very true. Yeah. Got it. Now I got my sponsors in earlier. Do you want to get in all your sponsors? Who else did you have? Had Go Macro Bars, which are really delicious. If you haven't had a chance to try them, um, do it. Uh, I told you earlier I got completely sick of tuna. There's a lot of things I got really sick of. Believe it or not, you can get sick of Oreos. Like you can get sick of things you never thought you could get sick of. And somehow Go Macro Bars, I did not have that experience. I literally ate one today. Like I still love them. So for me, that really says a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ariel, I have to tell you that uh, Cliff Bars and Payday Bars, I cannot look at them anymore. Mm, I don't blame you. Like, it's just, it's tough. It's tough. Now, <laughs> now macro bars, you said? Um, The brand is called Go Macro. Go Macro. Now, yeah. I know that 
there are some bars. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name any more names. I know that some bars out there, it just made my jaw hurt. I mean, you really have to work <laughs> chewing those things. What, what is, what are those bars like? Well, I would say if it was a really cold morning, you might experience that, but on your average day, they're, they're going to be fine. But yeah, like, you know, with most bars, if it's really cold, it's going to be like eating a brick. And I feel like, you know, they're, they would still get hard on a really, really cold morning. So if it was a cold, cold morning, I would opt to eat surprise cheese and save my bar for my mid-morning Hobbit snack meal. You are a mouse. So there you go. <laughs> I, I know that you're probably like me. You're packing up in the morning, you're getting ready to go. And the last thing you do is you, you, you grab something to eat. And it was always like a chore. That morning meal was always a chore for me <laughs> because I just did not look forward to it. No, you, but you know, you need it. Like, you know, you need a little right. bit of something before you get hiking Gotta have and something. So you're just kind of like shoving it in your face. I also was a really quick, uh, my Tramley and I didn't, obviously we didn't hike together all day, every day. In fact, we mostly hike solo, but we would often like start together and then we'd meet for a snack and then we'd meet maybe for lunch and then maybe meet at the end of the day. Um, but I found that I was often much faster at packing up than some of the people in my crew. So I would take literally like three minutes while everyone else was finishing to shove whatever food product I could mm-hmm. get down. <laughs> nice. All right. Back to the poll. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Trail runners. Okay. Do you have a specific yeah, I had, brand? I had the Brooks Cascadia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tried them out on the Tahoe Rim Trail in 2020 and didn't get a single blister and so decided to roll with it. The one thing that I did struggle with on the Tahoe Rim Trail was um, some like nerve pain on the top of my feet. So something I did differently for the PCT was added some like cork orthotics that were like custom made to have a little punch out to spread my bones a bit in that section where I was having nerve pain. And for me, that was awesome. Again, I know it's kind of controversial because people are like, oh, like, you know, a lot of people talk about zero drop and having less stuff in their shoes. But I honestly think everybody is different. And I know a lot of people with the zero drop had insane issues with their feet and with their shins and with their knees. So just because it's trendy doesn't mean it's works for everyone. That's right. You got you got to try stuff out and figure out what, what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, having, having some drop (laughs) and having the orthotics was a game changer. I did get some blisters in the desert. I think it's really hard to, to avoid. Um, But after that, my feet were good for the rest of the trail. Never had a problem. Okay. Now, when it comes to shelters out there, question number three, do you use tent, a tarp, hammock, bivy, or Hey, let's just cowboy camp. Um, I really like the freestanding tent. And again, this is probably reasons why my pack wasn't as light as maybe others, but I liked that I could set it up everywhere, no matter what, never had to think about it. Um, because you know, there were times where I, like I had to, I hosted guests in my tent on a not completely infrequent basis because they couldn't set up their shelter for one reason or another. I mean, that's why you get a tramway because you know, you're, you're there for each other, but, uh, I really appreciated having the freestanding. So now what, 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 which tent did you have? What make and model? It was the Nimbus two person ultralight from mountain hardware. Okay. Uh, I was going to assume it was two person if you're hosting people. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're pretty tight in there. Yeah. And the thing is, so I, so I, I, I had, um, people I hiked with evolved a little bit over the trail, but there was two girls that we hiked from day one all the way to the final day together. And so, um, you know, we were always taking care of each other. Very cool. What were their trail names? 
Um, we <laughs> uh, we had spice and stinger. Spice and stinger and mouse. Yeah. Spice, stinger, and mouse. Yeah, and then a handful of other amazing humans along the way as well. Got it. Got it. All Those right. are my ride or dies. You know. Understood. <laughs> now, when it comes to your sleep system, did you use a sleeping bag or a quilt? I used a sleeping bag. Um, although often, so I had a 15 degree bag, which is often more than you need for a lot of the trail. Um, but it was nice on the nights that we did need it. And I found a cool system for the nights where it was really hot, where I would unzip it all the way. And I'd actually feed my sleeping pad, <laughs> my blow up sleeping pad into the bottom. And then it kind of acted like a quilt and it like held everything together. So it was a bag, but I used it as a quilt for the hot nights. Okay. Do you ever see evolving to a quilt? I'm open to the, yeah, I'm totally open to the possibility of trying it. Um, I think it, to me, it, it would depend. And so the thing that again, my logic is maybe different than a lot of other people's, but for the PCT, it being so long, I, instead of having different pieces of gear that I swapped in and out, I tried to think of things that would kind of overall work for the whole trail. And so had the same tent, the same sleeping bag, the same pack, the entire trail, like from start to finish, um, which is maybe not as common as you might think. That makes sense. I'm going to give you some points back. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Question number five. This is an important question. Mouse. Right. Big, big opportunity for a massive point drop here. When it comes to food on the trail, do you carry a stove? Do you cold soak or do you go stove? <laughs> You're going to demote me, aren't you? Um, I really like having hot food. <laughs> like, so I had a stove. Yeah. I, okay. um, Having having a hot no, meal no, at the end no, of the day. No point deduction at this point. That that's the right answer. If you're a cold soaker, that's like, oh <laughs> boom. Well, yeah, I just I something about having a hot meal at the end of the day makes it fe makes it just it feels more filling than eating the same amount of calories in cold food. And um being able to have hot tea on cold mornings, you know, it just to me it was essential. And I actually am gluten, I'm gluten free. I was diagnosed with a thyroid condition a handful of years ago. And that was a change that I made that actually really helped me dramatically. Uh, so I being gluten free have a uh, maybe like I have less options when it comes to trail food as far mm -hmm. as, you know, the things that work. And so being able to have that, you know, hot meal made it a lot easier to get enough like sustenance with that kind of caveat. Right, right. I don't know how you do it. When I go to restaurants, I ask for double gluten. <laughs> you so. can always have my gluten. Okay, thank you. It's like my pickles. My husband always gets the pickles, you know, and Stinger got my pickles on trail when he wasn't there with us. So, you know, you can have my gluten. It's all yours. Pickles, the gluten, you know, <laughs> sharing your tent. I mean, this is, you You are just a giver, I think. I try right. my best. Question, that's right. Question number six, uh, is life better above or below the tree line? above oh. uh, above for sure i yes. i'm a mountain girl i live i live at at 8000 feet like i live at that altitude i am a mountain girl at heart and i know that we'll talk about like fears and concerns later but like for me one of my biggest fears was like the desert section <laughs> because it's so out of my element and even though I really loved some of the beautiful forests in Oregon and Washington i found myself like um, oh my gosh, some people are going to get so mad at me for saying this, but I found myself bored sometimes. 
Yeah, that so, could be that, that could be a real argument starter, Mouse. I know, I know. I'm like, should I? Maybe I shouldn't have said it. Absolutely swear by the desert. I mean, they talk about the just the beauty of the desert, uh, while others are like yourself. I mean, I have not done the PCT. I've done portions of the PCT, but I think that if I were to do the PCT, my fear also would be the desert. I would have a real concern yeah. about the desert. What so I will say though, simpatico there. What I will say though, that's helpful is if you go northbound, um, you do the desert first. So you have this like enthusiasm and things are still like novel and exciting. I think it would be, I think it would be a lot harder mentally for me personally to, to go Sobo and have to end with the desert. Um, because like you said, the desert is actually amazing. And I found myself a lot less bored with the desert than it was more like the, like the trees, the really wooded forested sections kind of later in the trail that I would find that I have to, I'd have to put like an audiobook on to get myself to, cause everything just kind of, it was beautiful for like an hour and then kind of all looked the same, but the desert, um, because you still have that knob, that experience of novelty, I feel like it ends up being a lot better than you expect. And it's like, like you said, it, it does end up being really beautiful. So I was pleasantly surprised by the desert. I was, excited when it was over but i think a lot of that was also because that means you're you're stepping into the sierra and that's like you know how could yeah, you not get excited about that i think most of the hikers on the pct from what i've heard they do a lot of fear, fear mongering leading up to the sierras they're always talking about the sierras what's going to happen in the sierras uh, me though i'd be, I'd be fear mongering about the desert as i was driving down to <laughs> campo so that, that's what i would be doing well there's not rattlesnakes in the sierra and there are i mean i i I think my count was like 25 rattlesnakes in the desert. So, you know, just saying. Did any of them get too close? Any of them cozy up to you at night? <laughs> no. You know what? To be honest, that they're a lot less of a of a, an issue than you might think. Sometimes they actually, it's hard to get them to move. And so sometimes you have to like kind of encourage them with your poles to like, can you please get off the trail? And then you scurry very quickly past them. <laughs> Yeah, you know the the one good thing about the desert is it doesn't have alligators like you know the Florida sure. Trail. So yeah, I have mad respect for people who head out and do the Florida Trail. That that is rugged, the swamp situation, rugged. <laughs> yeah. Zero hills. I mean, I think the top the, the the highest hill is probably fifty feet, but it, it counterbalances with <laughs> alligators. So I mean, enough said. Enough said. Yeah, and like knee deep mud. <laughs> right, right. Or you know, hiking through waist deep water. Nope. In Florida. That's, that's a hard, a, that's a hard pass. Hard I like pass. suffering. I, that just sounds, that's, that's a step beyond for me. Yeah. Cause what's under the water, what's in the water with you. You don't know, like don't know. everything. No, no. Alligators for sure. Right. Yeah. Or crocodiles. What do we, what do they actually have there? I'm like, not sure. I, I'm, I've been saying alligators. It might be crocodiles. I don't know. Now I regret saying that because I actually have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we'll, we'll get fact checked someone's someone okay. will send an, an angry email to me saying how okay. do you not know this that's okay i'll take it all right Defending people right and left you know these last couple of answers i've been really impressed you were trending to sub 50 but you you now i think you're going to end up on the on the right side of 50 so congratulations oh, thank last you. question last question on the hiking pole question number seven what's more important pack weight or luxury items well i mean <laughs> You might know my answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I prioritize a lot of things that people would consider luxury items and I have zero regrets about it. Okay. 
Now, Mouse, I've got to do some math here. I got to take your answers and put them through the John Freaking Mirpod algorithm. So mm-hmm. bear with me while I, I have to carry the two. We're going to divide by root three, mm. multiply it by pi. This is like high level math. Yeah, very advanced. Yeah. And then I had to adjust for the adrenaline level of uh, someone who, eating tuna <laughs> with a dead mouse by their foot at the top of San Jacinto. And I come up with a score of 53. Ooh. 53. What do you See, think? like right there in the middle. That's what right I there, yeah. what I expected. Yeah, your friends and family are pretty accurate. <laughs> now that, yeah, that like score, that score does have a chance to go up or down depending on the rest of the interview. It can can right. adjust. So right. it's up to you. Um, well, I, I hope to make you proud by the end of this. Okay. So. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail and before we take our break, let's uh, let's have you talk to us about you know, your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and activities you were involved in as a kid, and how did you get involved in the thru-hiking cult? Because, I mean, let's face it, it's a cult. Yeah. Any oh, organization yeah. that, that you know, convinces you to sleep in the dirt for months on end has got to be a cult. Um. Yeah. And I say that I, with no judgment. No judgment. I mean, just observation. It's. A, I mean, it is a fun cult. Well, I guess hmm, that's actually probably debatable. I think it's fun, <laughs> but I feel like there are probably many people who would argue against that. Um, I grew up in a um, an area just outside of a town called Aspen, Colorado. So in the mountains, uh, I guess I, I moved here when I was like 12. So I feel like that's when all my kind of more identity establishing things that happens before that I lived in LA and I played a lot of regular sports like soccer or basketball things like that when I moved here I got really into snowboarding and like full throttled with that ended up competing in snowboarding for high school and college and um it was awesome my school my high school had a program where I could take half days during the week and get PE credits to go train so we'd go train every Tuesday Thursday at lunchtime and I'd get PE credits um so that That's was great really you know, cool. I, I I know in Southern California there are some schools in Orange County that have surf programs and they they yeah. compete against other schools in surfing they you know, go to the beach and they surf and they they uh, compete and so it, this is uh, interesting to hear about Colorado schools having snowboarding programs. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's such a big part of our culture and, um, you know, so I feel really fortunate that that was the possibility and it allowed me to, you know, having two extra days a week to train really does make a huge difference. So pursued that for a little while, like I said, pursued that into college. Um, didn't take it so seriously that I didn't go to college, if that makes sense. I feel like a lot of people who are, if you're competing at a really, really high level, you're probably not going to go to college right away, um, if at all. And for me, I was doing well enough to keep rolling with it, but definitely not well enough to put all of my eggs in that basket. So went to a school where I could keep competing, which was super fun. Um, when I quit competing, I kind of had a bit of an identity crisis and around that time had just gotten into rock climbing. And so rock climbing kind of became my whole world um, in my early 20s and planned my entire life around it and did, of course, like some some backpacking, some hiking and things like that. I went to college in Tahoe, uh, which is actually, you know, how I learned about the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is another through hike I did a couple of years ago. And it's where I learned about the PCT. So one of the backpacking trips I took as a college student was in Desolation Wilderness, which is a really beautiful (laughs) part of technically still the Sierra, even though it's not in the like high Sierra section, but technically still the Sierra mountains. Um, But yeah, so I did a a hike out there and um, 
one of my friends had done the JMT and was like, oh yeah, like the JMT and there's this bigger trail called the PCT share this section. And then, you know, we hiked a little section in the desolation. And that's when I was like, I don't know. I it's, I don't know how else to describe it, but there was a a thing that clicked in my head that was like, oh yeah, that's something I'm going to do one day. You know what I mean? It was just like a, a moment. And in my early twenties, I started buying what was ultra light at the time, just to start to get myself set up. And then life kind of happened. And I was 28 and I was telling my husband that I had always envisioned myself doing the PCT before I turned 30. Not because I think anyone's any less capable after 30, but like life changes, you know, like I'm 32 now and I'm going to have a child, like life is changing. And so I really wanted to do it before I was 30. I was like, I want to set that goal for myself so that this dream doesn't pass me by, if that makes sense. So um, he was like, well, then you have to do it. And I'm so grateful for such a supportive partner because it was not a dream of mine and he never planned on joining me, but he was like in full support of me making it happen. So I had permits and everything for 2020, which would have been, I would have been 29 in 2020 finished, you know, finishing before I turned 30 and literally (laughs) three weeks before my start date, um, we went into lockdown and, you know, we were kind of like, you know, at least where I was, you weren't supposed to travel, leave the area, things like that. So, um, this thing that I had been training for physically building up my gear for buying food for doing all these things kind of fell, fell through the cracks. And in 2021, um, I had a random crazy health problem where I had vertigo to a point where I couldn't, um, see and like open my eyes for a couple of days. I was in fully in bed with my eyes closed for about two weeks. And then I had to, I hate to say relearn how to walk because it sounds like biomechanically, biomechanically, I knew how to walk, but to recalibrate my equilibrium (laughs) with the ground. So I had to start by walking on like cement pathways. And then I could go onto like dirt that was packed and then onto like snow and other things. So I decided that that probably wasn't like the optimal environment to start a through hike from. (laughs) So I skipped out that, that year and finally made it happen this last year, 2022. Wow. We covered a lot of ground right there. Yeah. Well, and this actually, I guess I didn't add this in there in 2020. That's why I hiked the, one of the reasons I hiked the Tahoe rim trail was kind of like a consolation prize for the PCT. And I got to say, I'm really grateful actually that I hiked that first because I learned a lot about through hiking. Like sometimes you just don't like, you don't know what you don't know. And it's really hard to plan for something. You think you have all the things and doing some sort of like shakedown hike. It doesn't necessarily have to be 180 mile um, shakedown hike, but doing some sort of kind of comparable thing to get you ready. Like I learned so much from that experience and it made me realize like that the timing was perfect when it actually did happen. Did you do any other kind of smaller hikes uh, prior to that? Or was, was the PCT going to be your first kind of multi-day, multi-day experience out there? I've done, I've done a, quite a few multi-day and in okay. my climbing um, obsession, I basically <laughs> lived out of a tent for the better part of my early twenties. So I had a lot of experience being in discomfort and, you know, backpacking and things like that. But I don't think before the Tahoe rim trail, my longest was maybe four nights, five days. Okay. Now I was just going to remark before we go to break here that 
I love that part where something just clicked in you about the PCT and you had it, you know, out of nowhere, I'm going to hike that someday. And I think I've heard about that moment many times in interviews and also just in my personal life that every once in a while something clicks. It's like we're almost predisposed to it. And it it makes me wonder about, you know, existence, you know, like fate and destiny. And (laughs) yes, exactly. Like this is, this is, this was always going to happen. This is something supposed to happen. And and you recognize it uh, from afar and, and, and it happens. So very, very interesting. Yeah. And I think it's also just a reminder to like, listen to those things if you can. And um, because I do feel like they're pulling us towards things that are, that our heart wants. I don't know if that's really corny. Like that's like, it's pulling you towards those things that are going to help you grow and find yourself in whatever way, you know, that you, that it's meant to, I don't know. <laughs> like it's hard no, to put I, words I, to it. If yeah, that makes it, sense. It, I don't think it's corny. I think it's poetic that, you know, listen to the universe. Cause it, it is definitely speaking to you. Oh, this is like such my language. The woo woo here is, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> All right. Hang on to the woo woo. We're going to take a break. We're going to hear from the sponsors and we'll be right back. From the back country to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. 
And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Ariel Scheip. I pronounced Scheip right, didn't I? Yeah, you nailed okay, it. Okay, that's, that's all, the only pronunciation. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, AKA Mouse. I wanted to ask you, is is your husband, is he is he cat or is he cheese? <laughs> um, His trail name was actually Gadget. So my husband did come do 100 miles. He did the first 100 um, because... <laughs> I feel like if you're going to have someone meet you or join you for a section, the first section is actually one of the easiest because you haven't built up all your, your trail legs and your miles yet. And it does get a little bit tricky with like tramily dynamics and stuff. If you have someone join you later in the trail, if they can't keep up with that speed, if that makes sense. Um, so we decided that the first hundred would be the best for him to join. And he is super tall and kind of the guy that like, if you drop a water bottle, he can be like, Zoop! and grab it. So he was gadget, like inspector gadget. Got it. Got it. I, <laughs> I, I assumed that he was just being thoughtful because he knew that you feared the deserts. So he was going to be there to support you in the beginning <laughs> stages. Well, I do think it is also, I, I think it also was nice to have him to be able to be there for the beginning and kind of see me off. And also like, just from the perspective, if anyone's listening, who wants to do something like this and they don't have a partner, like they have a partner who's supportive, but not, doesn't want to do it with them. I found the fact that he was able to a hundred miles. I think it, what did it take us? Like, I think eight days, like we weren't moving super fast in the beginning and we took like a full rest day in Julian and so anyways, he got to experience the trail, experience the trail culture, meet like my, you know, what would become my family. I had the same family for the entire desert. And then, like I said, two of those people, um, Spice and Stinger, we hiked all the way to the end. So I feel like it gave him a chance to feel like connected to the trail and connected to me and my experience. So that later on when he was away and I would talk about things, he would like, understand it and feel more connection to it. So it is also a really nice option for anyone else who's going to have, you know, a partner that's not going to hike with them to get that exposure to the trail and the trail community in that way is a really cool way to start. Great advice. Yep. Now you were a Los Angeles transplant. Uh, yeah, I guess technically. You started, you started out in LA, you said. Yeah, I did. Yeah, what, what part of LA? Cause I'm in Southern California. Oh, well, I was in, I was in Redondo beach. Okay. Yeah. Orange yeah. County then, right? Was it Orange County? Uh, it's actually LA. LA. It's LA County, but LA South County LA is so County. massive. It's like, it's yeah. just kind of like everything. Yeah. And um, not that it matters, but I was, I was conceived here in Colorado. So, you know. <laughs> we have spent a lot of time talking about conception, Mouse. That's not all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, I, we kind of already set up the the talk about the the hikes because you you talked about wanting to do the PCT and then 2020 happened and the consolation yeah. prize was the Tahoe Rim Trail. And yeah. you know, my buddy Chopper, my hiking partner Chopper, he, you want to know how he got his name? Sure, yes. yeah. Well, but how, did he get hallied out somewhere? He did. That's exactly <laughs> right. He got hallied out. Uh, Chopper has uh, set up a, a, a time for us to hike a portion of the Tahoe Rim Trail out in the Desolation mm. Wilderness this uh, this July. So I'm looking forward to that. Be oh, you said the Desolation Wilderness section? 
Yes. Oh, the best section. Yeah. Is it a, is it a misnomer? Cause I mean, you think desolation, I mean, you're thinking like, this. just, I'm thinking it's not desert. It's, it's mountains up there, but no, it's the Sierra. You're like, yeah. in the, you're, it's not the high Sierra, but it has like high Sierra, like aspects to it. It's just a ton of granite, beautiful Alpine lakes. Um, it's stunning. It's really stunning. It's hard to get permits actually now because it is such a popular area. Yeah. So that definitely not, only... definitely not desolate. Yeah, that it's a misnomer. That is yeah. the only air, the only section of the uh, TRT that does require a permit, correct? Uh, yes, I believe that's true. I think that's right. Yeah, getting a TRT permit is pretty easy, though. Um, as of right now, I imagine that as since through hiking is really growing and expanding and getting more popular every single year, especially like accessible smaller through hikes like the Tahoe Rim Trail, I imagine. It wouldn't be a surprise to me if those permits start to have, you know, limits and things like that eventually. But as of right now, as far as I know, um, there you, anyone can get one. Mm -hmm. Now, did you do the Tahoe Rim Trail solo? No, I did the Tahoe Rim Trail with a girl I met on the internet. <laughs> um, we didn't really do the trail name thing. So her name was Chrissy. She's actually one of the co-founders for SendFem. So she messaged me uh, at some point in the early summer of 2020 and was like, hey, I saw that your PCT through hike fell through. Do you have any interest in doing the Tahoe Rim Trail with me? And I was like, yeah, hell yes, let's do it. So I literally met her the night before at her, stayed at her house and her husband dropped us off at the trail the next morning. And uh, we did eight, like eight days in a morning, I guess. Um, and by the end, we were super close, close enough that, you know, we've um, built this organization together along with our other friend, Whitney. Right now, the rim trail is, is it 173 miles? <laughs> this is, miles? Uh, it's weird. So there's, depends on where you look. So some things will say 170, some things will say 180. Um, we felt like, like with our tracking and stuff, it seemed like we did over 180, um, but supposedly somewhere between 170 and 180. Got it. You did it in eight days. That's a pretty good clip. Yeah, we were, we were definitely moving, especially for not having like, you know, like on the PCT, you build up to mileage like that, but you, you build up to it. You know, most, most people aren't starting with those kind of miles. So we were wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> but in what she's way doing, she's in doing what hardcore stuff now though. She's doing, she's done rim to rim to rim. And like, you know, she's, you know, she's a beast now. <laughs> yeah. And just for our listeners, rim to rim yeah. to rim is not in reference to the Tahoe rim trail. That's, that's in reference. Oh to yeah. So the, the Grand, Grand Canyon, Canyon. Right? Yeah, yeah. But in what ways were you wrecked? Were you wrecked physically, mentally, both? Yeah, so I had that nerve pain on my foot that I was talking about That's earlier. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and I would say, yeah, just physically in a lot of pain. <laughs> but not so much, not, not, I guess not to a point where it was injury pain, you know, after three or four days of good rest, slowly came back to life. But just really beat up for sure of like, you know, throttling yourself to, mm -hmm. to truly your limit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, this is your first big through hiking experience. Yeah. Um, what were you expecting and and did it live up to those expectations? The, the Tahoe Rim Trail part? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it got me really excited. It did make me, like I said, I learned some things on that through hike that I think really helped me for the PCT. And one of those was that I would be really well served by um, gradually 
moving into bigger mileage, you know, like with the Tahoe Rim Trail, we were able to pull it off because it was eight days and then it was over. But I feel like if I would have tried to do that at the beginning of the PCT and tried to keep pushing mileage like that, I feel like I likely would have gotten injured, you know, because it's just a little bit too much. So that's something that I really learned from that trail. I think when I was thinking about the PCT and you you see the people online Um, you see these numbers that they're putting out, they're doing 20, 25, 30 miles a day. And I think that my brain thought that that's, that's what you do. That's what you start with. You know, you're you're supposed to do 20 miles on the first day, right? Like that's where you get to the, you know, the first spot. So um, I think that was a really big learning for me of like expectations of like, okay, you can do that for a little while, but like, if you're going to keep going for five months, like easing into it um, would be really helpful. And I feel like other than that, at the end, I realized how excited I actually was to do the PCT. You know what I mean? At the end of the trail, it was like, I feel like I just got my toes wet. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I feel like this adventure is just starting, you know, and I wanted, I wanted to be able to keep going. So I feel like that was really good. Maybe like reassurance to me that the PCT was something, um, for me, (laughs) you know? Now, as you know, some of our listeners out there might be day hikers, might be considering kind of upping their game, their next adventure. Mm. How would you explain to them, you know, what is the appeal of through hiking? What is the appeal of, of those activities? What would you say? I think in a lot of ways it's, it's not, it's, it's hard through hiking is hard, um, but it's simple. It's like you get a chance to tap into just a little bit more of a simplistic life for a period of time, whether that's for a week or five months, you know, depending on which, which size of a through hike you consider. But I think just having that simplicity of like knowing, you know, you're eating, you're hiking, and you're going to be in beautiful places. um, I think that that's a really special opportunity. And I feel so grateful that that's something I've been able to make happen. But I think that that's really the draw of it is just being able to live in that simplicity. I think there's an illusion that you will be able to solve all your life problems out on trail. (laughs) And I think that there are a lot of life problems that you can only solve in life. But when you have space from other things, I do think it gives you an opportunity to get clear on what you want, what you don't want, what resonates with you and, you know, what feels like truly fulfilling and having that opportunity to reset, whether it's a couple of days or a couple months, I think is what keeps people coming back to through hiking and is what is one of the reasons through hiking has grown so much. Now, Mouse, I'm always on the lookout for the title of the episode as we're going through the interview. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said it, you said it very eloquently right there that, (laughs) Through hiking is hard but simple. That, yeah. that might be the title. Hard but simple. With, it's true though. With yeah. Ariel Mouse Shite. <laughs> um, I, I also just considered there as you went, you went a little bit further and you got a little little meta on us and uh <laughs> deep thoughts. I'm thinking deep thoughts with mouse. I mean, what, I mean <laughs> that's a big attractor right there. So I don't know. Yes, only time will tell. I'll be so I'll be, you know, sitting here waiting for the moment. Pins and needles. Pins and needles. <laughs> Deep thoughts. All right. Hey, are you familiar with type two fun? Um, yes, I have <laughs> built a relationship with this type of fun. <laughs> oh, really? You know, I yeah. was just, you know, I usually ask to find out yeah. if, if, if the person is familiar with the topic, but your response yeah. there, your very thoughtful, reflective mm. response, uh, mm. I'm intrigued. So tell me, 
tell me how your relationship is built on type two fun. To be fair, I also like type one fun. <laughs> but there's something special about type two fun, that type of fun where you are maybe not sure if it's fun in the moment, but then after it's finished or you might have a pocket where there's this kind of deep sense of reward where you like kind of you know, where, where that's where you're like, oh, okay, I do enjoy doing this. And I feel like you have those moments, like on the PCT, it's like every pass you do, gosh, when you're hiking up, you're like, this is brutal. It's usually hot and like, you know, all the different things. And then you get to the top and you, and you see, and you shift like literally immediately from the suffering into the like deep sense of gratitude. And so I feel like when it comes to levels of fun, whether, you know, comparing type one to type two, I just feel like you end up having, you grow more from type two fun because you have, you earn it. <laughs> you actually have to earn it. You have to like push through the challenge to get to the reward. And I think that that's, you know, something that's really special about it that really shapes you. And then also on the trail, there's type three fun. If you can even consider type three fun, um, which also may just be like not fun. <laughs> yeah. My understanding of type three fun is well, type one fun is you're having fun when you do it, but you don't really talk yeah. about it afterwards. Type two fun is you're not, like you said, you're not sure if you're having fun. You're you're really not having fun, but you love talking about it. You love telling the story. Is type three fun? My understanding is that it's it's not fun when it's happening and you never, ever want to talk about it with anybody. You know what? I might actually say it differently, at least my interpretation of it. Like for me, type one fun is fun while you're doing it. Type two fun is like maybe not so fun while you're doing it, but you realize it's fun after. And type three fun is not fun while you're doing it and not fun after, but often some of the best stories. Okay. All right. <laughs> I would argue is is type three fun actually fun? Well, that's what I'm saying. And that's yeah, why type I said three I fun like, is just good stories, but yeah, I don't know. And yeah. then Ginger Balls and I, we, we talked about type four fun, which is the Berkeley Marathons. Is what? Barkley Marathons. I don't know if I know what that is. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I get okay. demoted some points? I got deducted. Yeah, you're in the 40s now. Sorry. No, <laughs> oh, you, no, I did it to myself. Ariel, you're going to have to look up the Barkley okay. Marathons. It is the most insane race you will ever hear about. Oh, wait. Is this the thing on the East Coast where like nobody ever actually finishes it and it's like yes. terrible and you have to do a number of, ah, uh, someone yeah. was telling me about this. Yes. Can I have you, my points there, back? You can, you, 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 you regain the points having some knowledge of the Barclays. So there you go. You, there are two very good documentaries on YouTube that you have okay. to watch one, right. or, one or two of them. And look, the titles will give you insight into the, the Barclay marathons. One right. is uh Barclay marathons where dreams go to die. <laughs> and the other one is Barclay marathons, the race that eats its young. Mm, so inspiring. So, yeah. I've, I've talked to some world-class athletes on this podcast who yeah. have attempted the Barkley yeah. and it just chewed them up and spit them out. I mean, it is, I think there's only been 15 finishers in the 30 plus years that, that it's been going. Yeah. I was wondering, cause I feel like whoever was telling me about it said like, I thought they said even nobody had finished. So even hearing 15, I'm like, all right, those people yeah. are hardcore. Yeah. Some years there are nobody, there's nobody that finishes, but <laughs> overall there's been 15 uh, I think there's been one three-time winner. Wow. Maybe. Yeah. Impressive. That guy's a superstar. But uh, yeah, do yourself a favor. It's an hour and a half, roughly. 
of, of documentary time, you, it is, it is time well spent. You'll really, really enjoy it. Awesome. I'll check it out. Okay. I'm not sure I was going with that, but, uh, any, any examples of type two fun from the Tahoe rim trail where you, you found yourself in a situation you're like, Holy smokes, what am I doing here? Oh, now that was, so the, that's been a couple, two and a half years now. We were, we were saying this before we started um, recording and I feel like there are like two types of people, <laughs> like the people that remember every single detail of every single thing. And then, um, which is not me. <laughs> and then the person that like, I, I feel like I remember like broader brush strokes and like there'll be defining moments that I remember, but it's crazy how fuzzy a lot of the like in-between stuff gets for me so was there was there a was there a defining moment on the the tahoe rim trail um (laughs) well there was one of my favorite moments was we we were like i said we were pushing ourselves to our limits at that time um and we decided we want to do Dick's Pass at sunrise which is in desolation wilderness it's actually on the pct as well um so I don't, I'm not sure where, if you're doing the TRT section of the desolation, you'll go over it. It's really beautiful. So we wanted to do that at sunrise. Um, so we got up at, you know, I don't know, something like three in the morning. Cause it was the middle of summer. So sunrise is very early. So we got up at three in the morning and we did the pass. Um, I'm annoyingly cheerful actually to be honest, especially, especially like in the morning. So I'm like annoyingly cheerful. And, um, Chrissy at a certain point told me that I wasn't allowed to talk anymore (laughs) because it was just, it was too much. So anyways, we made it to, uh, the top of the pass and it was our, this, this day was our last full day of hiking on the Tahoe rim trail. So we sat at the top, we got our sleeping bags out, we made some tea and, um, yeah. And we watched the sunrise over this, you know, on this pass where there's this beautiful lake that you look out over. Um, so that was one of my favorite moments. And that day was really, really hard because that was, we did, uh, I can't remember the exact amount. I think we did 26 miles. So, which was our biggest day. It was a really big push. And, um, by the end, you're just like, hobbling, running on fumes, have absolutely nothing left. The sun is just dropping. And we had been hiking since like three in the morning. We hiked till 8 30 p.m that day so that was definitely um probably the most type two fun of the trip but then there was those moments of like you know like being at the top of the pass where you just you're like oh no this is worth it (laughs) this is amazing (laughs) mouse i've got a third possible title option okay annoyingly cheerful (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah All right, let's go to, let's go to the PCT. Let's talk about the PCT. What kind of I know you you prepped for it in 2020 and then it got that kind of got shot down. In terms yeah. of your 2022 hike, yep. what did you do for for preparation and training? How did you get yourself in shape? How did you get those miles in ahead of time to make sure you're going to be okay okay on the trail? Uh, I was in a lot better shape in 2020. I'll just say that I had, I was, I um, got really into ski touring and did a ski mountaineering race that winter. I was like charged and ready to go for 2020. Um, I decided when COVID happened to start grad school. So 
I, in order to be able to take time off to do my through hike this last summer, I actually did double time of grad school over the winter so that I could take a leave of absence without getting behind. Um, So the moral of this story is I was not in as good a shape as I would have liked. I tried my best. I live in the mountains. And so doing long distance is really hard, but doing vert is really easy. So I would get on my, my skis, put my skins on and skin up the resort a couple days a week. And, you know, I could very easily get, you know, 2000 feet of vert in an hour and a half, you know what I mean? Like you can, you can really like get some vert. So I did that as much as I could and just tried to stay overall in shape. And then when I started the trail, like I said, I started, started with like 15s on average and to just kind of had a more realistic expectation of myself, took a full zero in Julian, like tried to take a full zero every week for the first bit of trail. Um, just knowing that, I wasn't in condition to start with 20 mile days. Um, just didn't have the chance to do it um, because I had to write a lot of papers <laughs> for school. Got it. Now, how did, how did your mileage change during the trip? And what was your mileage in Northern California, Oregon, Washington, as you got, as you got those legs yeah. underneath you, what, what, what were the, the average mileage days? So in the desert, like I said, we started with 15-ish a day, yeah. built up slowly over time. Um, by the end of the desert, we were doing 22 to 25 on average, maybe 26 on some good days. Then you go into the High Sierra, um, and that just you just drop back down. So in the High Sierra, 21 would be like a really big day. Most of the time, we were doing like 18. I'd say like eight, 17, 18 was like a average in the Sierra. Mouse, that makes my heart warm because I did a 19 mile day in the Sierra one day. Yeah. So I, I feel accomplished. I feel accomplished. Yeah. Thank you. It's hardcore, man. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. And also, okay. Like, yes, you want to make it to the end, but do you want to rush one of the most beautiful sections of the trail? I wish I could have gone slower. I would have liked to do 12s. I would have loved it. It would have been wonderful. I would have been able to swim in so many more lakes and, you know, hang out in much more. I mean, when you're through hiking, that's one thing you sacrifice is you sacrifice some of those moments of like hanging (laughs) because you got to get, you got to make sure you keep up with the pace to get to the end. So we dropped down to, yeah, like 18 to 20 in the Sierra and then Northern California, we were bumping up like 25 was minimum, generally speaking. So very often we would get like 28, 29, but we weren't really, we weren't hitting thirties um, until <laughs> by far one of my most memorable moments when um, we had the McKinney fire and we were four miles from where it started um, when it happened. So that day was our first 30 and we can, you know, dive into that story later if you want, but that was our first 30. We did 32 and a half that day. And um we actually only did like, I think maybe only two other 30 plus days because we decided at least the crew I, crew I was with that it wasn't fun. <laughs> and one of my favorite part, one of our, our favorite parts of hiking was being able to have snacks and lunch and things together. And when you're doing a 30, like you don't really like to do big miles, you kind of have to like get in your own little zone in your own little bubble and go. And I didn't want to do that day in and day out. So we did in Oregon, we did a lot of, um, again, 20, 25 to 29, you know, 28 Washington, um, Washington, we dropped down again. Part of it was because we wanted to take, to slow down and see some of it. And part of it is because we were really tired <laughs> at that point. 
um, just kind of like that core tired. Um, so yeah, I would say we were kind of doing Sierra, like maybe, maybe 20 more like averaging 20 in Washington. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said about, uh, taking your time and enjoying it as opposed to the, the people that are trying to put in 40, 45 mile days. I, I think I wonder to myself, you know, how much are they actually seeing? I mean, you have a, if you're doing 40 mile days, you have a general impression of where you've been, but it's, you're covering a lot of ground quickly. And I think, I think there is something to be said for really savoring and enjoying the incredible environment you're in. Yeah. And I think it's just a priority thing. Like, you know, um, what feels rewarding and fulfilling to one person is going to be so different that what feels rewarding and fulfilling to others. Cause I do have a couple of friends who are pushing those 40 mile days and, my, again, it's not for me. (laughs) I realized I didn't even like doing thirties. Like we could have, but we, then we'd have to sacrifice what we were really enjoying, which was the time with each other, you know, like being able to take an hour long lunch break instead of a 15 minute lunch break, because you need to keep going to keep that pace up. Um, I just, yeah, I preferred, like I said earlier, I was like, there's some of the sections that I'd, I'd almost love to go back and just do like slow, take my time, hang out and just, you know, savor some of them because there were moments where I did feel like, you know, we didn't get to hang quite as long as I wanted because we still did have to finish, you know, there is still a time limit, you know, regardless. Right. And I hope I didn't come across judgy when I said that no, you're fine. to each, to each their own, of course, you know, you, you hike your own hike. That's what, that's what you got to do. But uh, for me, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you and, and enjoy the sights. Uh, yeah. Take a look around. Don't just have your head down, pounding those miles. Now, what, what day did you start the PCT? Uh, April 18th. April 18th. And when did you finish? September 15th. So five, a little less than five months. Yeah. So we had, and then, you know, I don't know, um, this year was interesting. There were, I think this is going to be just, this is the reality of the sections that this trail goes through, but we had some big closures because of fires, the McKinney fire closure. Like I said, we were at the McKinney fire, so we didn't miss much for that closure. Um, but we did, there were some, there were two other smaller closures in Oregon that we did end up having to miss a little bit. And, um, by the time I made it to the end, the actual border was closed. (laughs) Um, so we finished the PCT section of our adventure at rainy pass, which I can't remember. It's, it might be, it's either maybe 60 miles from the border. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like I said, some of those things are fuzzy for me, but anyways, we stopped at rainy pass and we ended up taking a boat up Ross Lake, which runs parallel to the PCT and celebrating at the Canadian border there. Um, that was kind of like our um, our way to still signify the end of the journey, still make it all the way to Canada. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't have the option <laughs> to walk to the right. traditional border monument this year um, when yeah. I finished, at least. I think you're right. I think with, with climate change, I think it's going to be the, the new reality for certain sections. Although with the atmospheric river that, that took place in the in the at least the northern part of California. Maybe, I don't know if that helps, or I thought I saw, saw a headline today that said yeah, that might lead to more fires. I'm not sure how that would work, but uh, definitely, you know, something you have to account for these days. Yeah. And I think this is something that I really learned from through high because I started off with a, a bit, maybe a bit more of a purist mentality of wanting to walk every step. And I actually am kind of grateful that my through hike was that that 
became like a non-possibility because I, it really freed me up a bit more for the second half of my hike to say yes to things that I maybe wouldn't have said yes to earlier in the trail. And um, yeah, kind of like enjoy aspects of it a bit more versus being so serious about it. So for me, it ended up being a really powerful learning experience. And, um, you know, I'm sure other people would not feel the same, but. (laughs) What a great perspective. I mean, Mouse, you are annoyingly cheerful. You. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you finished up your hike, even though you didn't get to do the last, that last 60 miles, as you finished up that hike, I mean, tell us, take us through the emotions of, you know, having started out 2,600 miles to the South yeah. at the Mexican border, and now finding yourself via foot power being at the, near the Northern terminus. And what, what emotions are going through you at that point? Man, it's so, it's so surreal. It's almost hard it was hard for me to even understand it in the moment. Like, you know, I, I feel like for me, it almost hit more later, the reality when you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm not just on a zero, I'm done. Like I'm done hiking. Like it, for me, it kind of took time to settle in. It was a really kind of beautiful poetic ending, even though it did end up end a little earlier. So like I said, we ended at Rainy Pass. The last mile before the pass, it starts to sprinkle. Right. And we've had a little bit of rain, but not much, (laughs) not that much. Right. Like we haven't had uh, only Washington. There was like a, you know, a couple of days and mostly at the end. So anyways, we're getting these little, this little sprinkling. As soon as you can see the road for the pass, it is raining. Like it could not rain harder. Like it is torrential downpour, sheets of rain. You're so, everything is soaked completely. If you had a rain jacket on, it didn't matter. It was soaked. Like it was like rain, like, you know, and we'd had an experience. I mean, we'd had some like sprinkling here and there throughout the trail, but this was like, so it was this really, like I said, kind of this poetic moment because we we're finishing at Rainy Pass in the pouring brain and there was a handful of us that was like my tramley and then this other tramley that we've been hiking with around a lot in the last two weeks of the trail and so everyone's just soaked and crying and hugging and smiling and laughing and cheering and it's just like this crazy moment and like literally it was the it rained so hard that there was a mudslide that closed the road to the town that we were gonna go to (laughs) so we were like here it is we finished this this big PCT adventure, and of course, there's some other unexpected challenge. We were all just kind of laughing at the irony because we had been we dealt with so many things <laughs> that had just like come up from Mother Nature that were just totally out of our control. And it was just like I said, it was like honestly this like beautiful poetic moment. Mouse, I think we're, we're we've come full circle because <laughs> earlier earlier we talked about uh, desolation path or desolation wilderness, not not desolate. It's really a misnomer, but yeah. rainy pass. I mean, seems to be fitting. Seems to be uh, very appropriate. At least when we were there, it was yeah. the, very rainy. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to the McKinney fire because earlier yeah. you said that you do carry a stove, mm-hmm. and you were at the start of the McKinney fire. Any. Any connection? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure law enforcement's not listening to this, but you know. Um, no, no, I I can't take responsibility for the Thank largest goodness. wildfire in California this year. But um, but I can share a, a wild story if you like. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. We're always up for a wild story. 
So, um, okay, so where the McKinney fire is, is very close to the border of California and Oregon. To give you some context, California is like 1700 miles. You spend a shit ton of time in California. By the end of California, like the last week, you're like, Oregon, 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 Oregon. You have like this mantra, right? You're ready for that change in state line because that's something on the PCT you don't get as much. Um, you know, you get it twice. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, the town, the last resupply stop that you have before the Oregon border is a town called Sayed Valley. I'm not sure if I pronounce it right, but anyways, it's um, town would be in quotations. It's kind of like just an area where there's a shop and uh, yeah, like a RV um, park <laughs> situation. And it's a terrible roadwalk, um, like a spiral roadwalk. It was like 115 degrees. It's awful. Um, and you're at you're at low elevation. So it is actually 115 degrees. It's not like when you're up in the mountains and it's like 110 in town and you're like probably in the high 90s, which is still really hot, but it's like actually 115. So anyways, coming into Sayed Valley, we had had two and a half weeks of heat wave. So basically all of Northern California, we were in a heat wave. We did not have a day below 95 degrees. Like it was very hot. And that day that we came into Sayed Valley, it was not joking, 115. The following day, the day we were going to hike out of Sayed Valley was the hottest day of the heat wave and kind of the break of the heat wave. You know what I mean? Like where it's going to get super hot and then it was going to start to like peter back out. So anyways, we had to Sayed Valley, you know, maybe like two or whatever, eat a whole pint of ice cream, um, obviously restock my cheese supply, the essentials. Um, and we get up really, really early in the morning. Out of Sayed Valley, you have a 5,000 foot climb with no um, shade, like no trees, nothing like that. Very exposed. Um, yeah, exposed. That's the word I was looking for. So you have a 5,000 foot climb directly out of the valley floor. And so we wanted to do that in the dark. So we didn't. We started hiking in the dark. We did that because it's so much like so much climbing that day you do that 5,000 foot climb you kind of plateau then you do another 1500 foot climb and that second section was a burn zone at noon <laughs> so very hot <laughs> and I did not get enough water um, but that was a me problem that was my own fault so anyways by the end of it we've done 7,500 feet of vert we're coming around the bend we plan to do 24 miles that day which is a, a shorter day at that section of the trail because it was so much climbing so much vert um as we're coming around this bend kind of on the backside of that ridge line, we can see out in the distance a plume and it is the direction we're walking. So we luckily had cell phone service in that moment, it happens periodically on those ridges. And we called the non-emergency line, uh, like the police department of the area. And we're like, hey, this is who we are. This is where we are. This is where we're headed. Is this a problem? Like we can see this plume. And this is mouse, excuse me, this is mouse, spice, and stinger. Uh yeah. what, what's going on up there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're like, uh, ground control, are we safe here? You know. So, anyways, we um they let us know. And at this time, we're with um our friends Pinch and Twinkle Toads, which were um the friends that hiked the second half of the trail. So, anyways, they we call, they're like, right now, this is the McKinney fire it just started today. Like it's right now it's on the other side of the highway and the other side of the river. Um, we think you're going to be okay for tonight where you want a, a camp. Um, but in the morning you might want to like push on because we, we don't know what's going to happen with this. And they're like, and all that being said, if the winds or anything change, call us again, <laughs> you know? 
So we hiked to where we were going to camp for the night. We set up our tents. We eat dinner. And we remarked to ourselves how calm it feels and how comforting it is that it's calm because it would be very scary to be that close to this fire if it was windy. Almost on cue, <laughs> the winds pick up and it starts, um, there starts being dry lightning around us, like lo- like lightning storm, no rain, but lightning with it. And because it had been so dry and so hot, now we're like, do we need to be worried about new fires starting from this lightning? Um, and then the wind really picks up. It starts sprinkling ash on us and it starts to smell like smoke. So this time we have to use our Garmin, but we get a hold of the emergency service or the non-emergent services again. We're like, hey, right now we're safe. We just want to make sure. And they were like, we think you guys should keep walking if you can. So we pack up everything in the dark. You know, it's like just getting dark. It's like 9 p.m. And we start hiking. And Twinkle Toes is in communication with his sister, who's kind of talking to all the different um, people trying to see if she can find a trail angel that might be able to help us out. And then my husband is also like, you know, our line on the outside, again, communicating all through Garmin's at this point. And within the four miles of where we're like, okay, we'll hike to the, this four miles to this next section because there's at least some road in her, you know, that cross cr- crosses through that section. Again, we learn later that those roads are not really roads. It's kind of, it just looks like it on a map. Um, within that four mile hike, the fire jumps the highway, jumps the river, is moving in three directions uncontrolled. And now the entire zone um, all the way to the border is a mandatory evacuation zone. So we actually start waking up other hikers that we pass and say, hey, just so you know, this is a mandatory evacuation zone. Like obviously everyone's responsible for themselves. We have coordinated a trail angel to come pick us up at this junction. It's not super close, but you're welcome to join us. You know what I mean? And so we we grow from our little group of five to a group of 17 by 2.30 in the morning where we finally make it to this junction. And this singular pickup truck shows up. We had, you know, again, we're communicating through garments. So we thought it was a pickup truck and a van. And so we're like, anyone and everyone, let's go. Come on. Anyone who wants to come, we got you. Like, you know, you're safe. <laughs> and singular pickup truck comes. Um, at this point, we had done 32 and a half miles, our first 30, and 9,000 feet of vert to finish the day. Um, and again, we started at like four in the morning, finished at 2.30 in the morning. So it was like such a solid day of hiking in the end. We have so much adrenaline hiking in the dark. The bugs from the smoke were so bad that you had to hold your headlamp in your hand down below at like chest level. And my arm looked like diseased from all the bug bites, not like mosquitoes, like little fly gnat things. So anyways, we pile 17 hikers and packs and the driver into this singular pickup truck (laughs) And it ends up being like a three hour drive out because he has to go so slow. And they're like this, it's just like this crazy dirt road area where they're just like weaving in and out in all sorts of directions. And then, um, yeah, as as the the sun rises, as we roll into Ashland and that's how we crossed the Oregon border. We were, oh, PS, that junction that we got picked up at two miles from the border. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So really crazy night. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is sketchy in so many different aspects. That is wild. Yeah, is it was wild. wild. I, I would have loved to have seen the reaction of the of the pickup driver as 17 hikers descend upon him. No, he was like, he was like, 
cool, we'll figure it out. We got it. Everyone get in. We put five of us. I was in the inside the truck bed. I don't, there, I don't think there was anywhere that was comfortable. I, I think it all sucked. So I was in the back of the cab with five people across. So like your hip bones are like actually aching because they're pressing bone to bone with each other. Two people were in the front seat. And so I guess that left 10 in the, uh, in the back. His truck pr- probably still smells like hiker trash. <laughs> well, honestly, the smell of ash yeah. uh, was probably stronger than our odor at that point. Cause it was, it was legitimately like thick smoke, raining ash. Like it was full, pretty full on at that point. Hey mouse, you know what I just realized? Huh? I realized that you're going to have to come on for another episode because there is, a, oh, yeah? we have just scratched the surface with you. There's a whole nother part to you, <laughs> the whole ski mountaineering, rock climbing, snowboarding side of you that we, we need to explore. I, uh, I, I like to collect activities. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I get a commitment right now that you come on for a second episode? Yeah, I would love to. That'd be so fun. This has been great. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Hey, we're going to leave the PCT in the rear view mirror. Uh, with 17 of us in that truck right now. And we're going to move on to Send Fem. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Send Fem. What, uh, what, what is the purpose of the organization yeah. and what, what kind of activities do you guys sponsor? So the original intent was um, just to be a resource for women who wanted to get into kind of traditionally male-dominated activities. Um you know, I feel like things have really evolved in recent years, which is so great. And you're seeing so many more women doing all these things. But like when I first started rock climbing, it, there just weren't that many. All of my climbing partners were men. Um, backpacking most of the time I was going out with guy friends, things like that. And so and Chrissy kind of felt the same. So we wanted to create a resource that um, would help women feel welcome in these spaces. And I feel like part of feeling welcome is feeling like you have the tools and the education, the knowledge, the know-how to go out there, you know, to do these things confidently. I feel really fortunate that I had, you know, all these different mentors over the years, but that's not the case for a lot of people. And so we wanted to start out with a kind of like getting started guide of like an ebook basically for people, for, for um, women to, who wanted to explore these things. And, you know, in it, we have like a glossary of like all the terms, like send, you know, like just so that like, when you know, you hear people having a climbing conversation, you know, you have the dictionary right there to like understand all the terms. You know, we talked about the gear that they would need, where they could get it for really affordable prices, you know, how they could get started, all these sorts of different things. So it started with that. And then we realized that the, there was a missing piece and that missing piece was community, right? Community connection, um, friendship, place, you know, people like a lot of women say that one of their biggest challenges is to doing these things is not having, not, not having someone to call or to text to say like, do you want to go do this with me? Um, so we decided to add in this extra external component of community through this online platform. Um, we hosted on a platform called Mighty Network and we intentionally did that because I know so many people are trying to get away from things like Facebook and, um, you know, those types of social media. So we wanted something more specific. So at this point in time, um, like now today, the platform is free to join. The community is free to join. Um, there's lots of different conversations on there, lots of different threads, anything from, 
trail running, hiking, through hiking, biking, skiing, you know, really kind of any activity that you want to get into. There are subgroups for it. There are subgroups for adventuring with dogs, adventuring with families, like if you're a mom, you know. So there's all sorts of different um, opportunities for conversation, to meet people, to make friends. And, you know, we do host kind of official meetups, but all these sort of like organic personal meetups also just generate themselves from people sharing, Hey, I live in this area. Does anyone want to do this? You know, Hey, I like am visiting this area. Does anyone want to go on a hike? So it's become this space where people can make those connections, make friends and find community to do these things. And then we still have the, um, the educational aspect and we've kind of broken down the ebook more into workshops now there's regular workshops on there that people can sign up for to learn about lots of different things um and they can you know register for courses to learn about all the different things and we try our best when we're working uh, with external organizations to support women or women owned and operated um organizations that do like intro to backpacking or um intro to climbing or whatever it might be that is absolutely fantastic. Congratulations on, on getting that off the ground. And it seems like it's it's really taken off. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool to see it all start to come to life. And I think the most gratifying thing about it is when, when, when all of that's happening and you're like, I'm not doing, you know what I mean? Like we created the space for it to happen. And obviously we create invitations within that space, but like it's, it's generating its own level of connection. And I feel like for me, that is the re- most remor- like rewarding aspect is to, you know, see people making lifelong friends and through that being able to do things that they've dreamed about for, you know, however long. It's a place for people to, uh, for it to click for people. Yeah. To reach their destiny, do what they're supposed to do, bring out the woo-woo. Yeah. Well, and so many of us that like are, um, have had more experience in these activities. Like I love being able to share that with other people. And so it's also a space for people who do have experience in all these different things to be like, Hey, I would love to go climbing with you and show you how to like set up this system or like, you know, give you a chance to lead something or teach you how to lead belay or whatever. You know what I mean? It really just like opens a space for connections from all the different angles. Right. Hey mouse, you know where we are right now? Are we at the tip? Oh, the look at tip. you, like an old pro. The pro tip insight of the week. Yeah, that's right, Half Calf. It's time for the, the pro tip inside of the week, that time of the episode where Mouse gets to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Sounds like you're you're chock full of them. So Mouse, what do you have for us? <laughs> okay, so my, my biggest learning and my biggest takeaway from the PCT and that experience was being able to be in a space of non-attachment um, because it really, really frees you. And what I mean by that is like, obviously we have these goals out in mind to do a certain thing, but like things don't always go the way we plan. Actually, often things <laughs> don't go the way we plan at all. And it it's really easy to get caught up on what didn't go right or what didn't go the way you expected. And instead my tip is to look at those moments as opportunities and to see where that adventure can take you. Like I said, when when I had to break my continuous footpath because of the McKinney fire, it actually freed me to say yes to things on the trail that a continuous footpath, that was a perfect continuous footpath wouldn't have allowed me to do. So 
that's my tip, you know, be open to the adventure and honestly, just let it take you, <laughs> you know, be along for the ride. Outstanding. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Mouse. Want to thank her for joining us this week. Ariel, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah, my two main platforms are Instagram and YouTube. Kind of just depends on what format of content you like. If you like longer format content, you can come over to YouTube. I actually vlogged the entire my entire through hike. So if you want to see those adventures, have a bunch of QAs on there. So if you like kind of the deeper dive, that's the place to go. If you're kind of more like the snippets and the small moments and the quick videos and the little like maybe more personal moments, Instagram is a great place for that. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Mouse. I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, some kind of media to help our listeners stay connected to the outdoors during the off season here. Uh, We call this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us? Uh, well, it's not through hiking related, but I actually just, I rewatched The Alpinist last night. Um, and if you haven't watched it, it is truly incredible. I mean, talk about like, talk about type three fun, <laughs> honestly, but like, you know, seeing kind of the edge of what humans are capable of, it's, um, it, you know, it's, it's this very inspiring, also kind of very sad story, but like, just, um, a really wild adventure with some really, really, really amazing scenic shots that just blow your mind. So good. Such a good movie. Absolutely. All right. What have we not asked you? That's my daughter, <laughs> by the way. She, she was born in Southern California, but she likes to you know put on an accent occasionally. Uh, before we wrap things up, Mouse, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? Oh, this is tough. <laughs> I feel like we've covered all the things that I um, normally get a chance to talk about. Um, I mean, I guess the the thing that I'm really excited about, and we just talked a little bit about, but this next chapter of motherhood, and I, I just got to say, like, I'm kind of in awe of the human body, especially like the female woman body right now, the fact that I could walk 2,500 plus miles and then literally within a month start growing a human being. It's pretty cool. Um, And I'm super excited. You know, I thought that I thought that the PCT was going to be the hardest thing my body did this year. And then here I am now. So I, I feel like that's that's what's taking up so much of my mind right now is this excitement for this next chapter and my like I just like can't wait to share the love of the outdoors and the love of adventure um, for this like tiny human and see how it shapes who they become. I'm super excited about what's to come. The trail is so metaphorical. You're you're on a new trail now and a new adventure (laughs) and it's going to be so, so exciting for you. So congratulations again. Start date of June 16th. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Keep all your, log all your stats, please. Do I need a permit for this? (laughs) <laughs> i don't think so all right hey that's a wrap from the john freaking studio any shout outs to friends and family ariel 
Yeah. I mean, I have to shout out to my, like my multiple trail families, obviously my OG trail family in the desert. There was like 12 of you, you know who you are. You're amazing. Um, and then finishing the trail with Vulture and Pinch and Twinkle Toes. And then of course my ride or die ladies, Stinger and Spice. Um, and then, you know, the support staff at home, my husband, I can, you know, couldn't have done it without him and our dog and, you know, all of our family. So okay. thanks everyone. You're the best. Nice. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've done 30 plus miles with 9,000 feet of climb as you escape the McKinney fire. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. (laughs) I love it.